Welcome to a new episode of Bang Gong Podcast. I am Nick Jimenez, and I'm just chiming in to add a little bit of what I think might be necessary context to this episode. So we are releasing this episode Tuesday, March 17th. If you are coming across this episode at around the time we're releasing it, uh, then it is a funky time, not just for the food and beverage industry, not just for dining, not just for, uh, I don't know, podcasting, but really for everyone and everything, because we are in the thick of this uh, coronavirus quarantine situation, and there's a lot of uncertainty uh, in everything. And the reason I'm saying that I think this is necessary context is that we recorded this episode of the podcast on Thursday, March 12th. So at that time, the coronavirus was already a thing, but we didn't quite know how far things would go. Um, the mood was maybe a little bit different. That's not to say that you're, you know, <laughs> that we're uh, flippant about the whole thing, but certainly I think you'll, you'll realize that, um, you know, this week, uh, or not even a full week, but, you know, these five days, have made a world of difference just in terms of the outlook and what, uh, you know, at least some people thought the the possibilities were. So uh, anyway, that's just to, to let you know that if it feels like, you know, the specific tone of, of the podcast and the way that we're talking about coronavirus and even some of the details of the plans that are in place for, uh, say, Mike's restaurants or, uh, Major League Soccer or uh, Miami's MLS club in particular sound a bit off, that's because so much has happened in the last week. Um, all of that said, I also want to note that we have loose plans to do a special episode of this podcast related to this whole uh, coronavirus quarantine thing and the way that it's affecting uh, people namely people in the food and beverage and restaurant industry. So I would encourage you to reach out to us. Uh, get in touch by email at bangkongpodcast at dademag.com. Again, that's bangkongpodcast at dademag.com. If, uh, if you feel like you've got a, a story to tell and you would like to uh, tell it to us and maybe to uh, our audience, this would be a... a phone interview thing. So all kinds of social distancing happening here. You don't have to uh, come into contact with with me or with Mike or with Petey the Dog or uh, Carluba or anybody. So uh, again, Podcast at dademag.com. If you've got something to share, would love to hear from you and maybe we'll set up a call to record something for uh, a future episode of Bangkong Podcast. Also, if you find yourself with a lot of downtime and you're out of things to listen to, I would encourage you to check out dademag.com. Not just Bangkong Podcast, but also our newest podcast, Step Into the Sandbox, which is hosted by David Berhano, and The Dade Podcast, which uh, is a little dormant, but which uh, in, it basically contains a lot of interviews that I have conducted on all sorts of subjects. Uh, so you really like have hours and hours and hours of uh, of discussion and entertainment and all sorts of other stuff uh, at dademag.com. It's all free. It's all uh, accessible there. And if you do decide that you want to support what we're doing, head over to patreon.com slash 
Dade Mag. That's D-A-D-E-M-A-G, patreon.com slash Dade Mag. So, uh, yeah, that's all the stuff I wanted to add. Uh, to recap, we recorded this almost a week ago, so the coronavirus thing was a little different at the time that the interview you're about to hear was recorded. We have plans to do coronavirus-related things, so by all means, get in touch with us at pangongpodcast at dadmag.com. And finally, uh, if you are in need of entertainment, be it while you're at home, while you're cooking, uh, while you're commuting and quarantining and social distancing and all the rest of that, uh, dadmag.com has loads of stuff for you. So uh, without any further ado, here is this newest episode of Pankong Podcast with our guest, Jorge Mas. Given when Hurricane Andrew hit in 1992, and our offices were right off Coyorus Drive, so Hurricane Andrew devastated us, and that was a great life lesson. It was a life lesson in adversity, but more importantly, how you bounce back from adversity. When I woke up that morning, um, you know, I was supposed to get married that month, um, and I tried to find my wife, who was at her parents' house, and uh, they lived right next to Southridge High School, and I couldn't find her, right, because her house was destroyed. And so, you know, every landmark you knew, like, disappeared. And I got there and I realized that 80% of our employees had lost their homes. And the stories of families putting their kids in a refrigerator not knowing if their kids would blow away. So when you look at that and you look at that we had to rebuild from nothing, uh, that was August 23rd, 1992. Um, you know, a year and a half later, fast forward, and our company is quadrupling in size. We're doing different things and we're meeting the challenges of, of, of adversity. So I said, listen, there's nothing that can stop us now. So I went and I approached uh, one of our competitors who was the largest person in, the, in our field of our business. It's called Burnup and Sims at the time, and I made an offer to buy their business. Four months later, we make a deal. We create Mastech, it was 1994, and we become a public company. And so we become traded on the NASDAQ exchange. So that for us was a big deal, right? We became national scope. We start growing um, really out of adversity, right? Adversity forged us to be able to have the courage to take a leap and become bigger and become public. One of the you know best days of my life was Valentine's Day, 1997, where I rang the opening bell on the New York Stock Exchange. It was the first day Mastech was traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, I was able to do it with my dad. Um, unbelievable experience. Very important benchmark moment. We've arrived. We can do this. Welcome to a new episode of Pang Kong Podcast. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm here joined by Chef Michael Beltran. Who I'm Welcome! Told, who I'm told was, since the last time we recorded, nominated for like a blue ribbon or something. Yes, uh, blue ribbon uh, for best chili. Uh, yes. be- blue ribbon for the best chili cook-off. Thank really? you. Congratulations <laughs> on your chili victory. That's a big deal. Congratulations. Yeah, I, you know, it's nice. Uh, I've worked very hard on that chili recipe and it's been very good. Aside from the chili recipe, it's not uh, on the menu here. You, yeah, <laughs> you try to go light. Yeah. Mike was also, in all seriousness, named a, a semifinalist for the James Beard Award for yes. Best Chef South. We have not recorded an, ep- an episode of this since that happened. So, uh, congratulations to Mike on both his James Beard Award uh, semifinalist uh, pick and also his blue ribbon for the best chili in all of Coconut Grove. We also got uh, nominated for Best Croqueta Doorstop. This is true. <laughs> Best croqueta doorstop in the game. Champion by default. The only croqueta doorstop, it's the doorstop that's also a croqueta. Yes. 
Today we are joined. <laughs> like, oh, what is it? Yes. Like, he knows, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like he's got one in his house. Yeah. <laughs> he may have one. Okay, I have it in my house. Yeah. So. So, so we are joined today by a special guest, Jorge Mas. Mike, I know you did some research. So I'm going to let you take it away because you. this is the most prepared I've ever seen you. No, that's not. I've been prepared before. No, but you know, Jorge is one of my favorite people. He eats here often, right? Yes, yes. Here by, I mean, Ariette. We've uh, created a very quick friendship. I think we just met like a month ago, right? Yes. Like, actually. And, you know, I like people who like my food. So it was like we became uh, friends pretty quickly. And, you know, and then just kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. You lived across the street, which is nice. Nice. Very nice. And, very uh, and so I saw you often. And then, you know, we just introduced each other. And then, you know, now we're here. But uh, we're really here to talk about um, current events. Yes. So... Little thing that you started the soccer team, absolutely right. Um, Inter Miami, Inter Miami, and uh, been, a, been a fun project so far. Right. How long has the project been kind of like in the works? Listen, the pro- um, Inter Miami and the idea uh, for this really began with David Beckham. Yeah. Um, and if you go back, goes way back to '07 when he came into the league. Um, mm. well, you know, he left Real Madrid to go play at the LA Galaxy, which I think really changed the face of American soccer. Um, and, you know, it was the first time that a global superstar came into this league and I think lent it legitimacy. And really as part of that, when he came here, um, you know, he was given the option by the league at the time that was basically sort of in like startup mode, um, if we if if we want to so say it in terms of, of where it is today. And they gave David an option, you know, after he retired to buy, to buy a team, to buy an MLS team. So David, I think about eight years ago, after he retired from the LA Galaxy, um, said that he wanted to bring a team to Miami um, to bring an MLS franchise here. And, you know, that was a process that he began um, at that time. But really, I, you know, and I observed like so many other sports fans here in South Florida about his challenges, you know, to bring the team to, to the city and, and make it a reality for a myriad of reasons, you know, stadium location, financing, you know, is, is the league going to approve a team here, et cetera. And frankly, I got a call about two and a half years ago from the commissioner of the MLS um, who had seen our process. Um, you know, I was, uh, we talked about jibber jabber before. I was sort of exploring of potentially doing something with, uh, with the Marlins oh, yeah. at the time because I thought it's, you know, listen, I'm a, I'm a kid. I grew up in Miami. I was born here. I'm a huge sports fan. Mm. I have great memories with my, you know, with my late father and my brothers about it, you know, really around sports, around the Dolphins and, you know, and, and I didn't miss a, a, the orange, a game in the Orange Bowl from 1971 till it was torn down. I missed one game. I missed uh, an Eagles game. What a good time. But huh? the memories, right, yeah. and UM football and everything that happened. So I look at sports as something that unites communities, that, that brings families together. So when I received the call from the commissioner, he said, Jorge, would you be interested? You know, I followed you and your family, everything you guys have done in Miami. Would you be interested in potentially talking to David Beckham about bringing a team to Miami? And I said, look, Commissioner, I'm not very, very familiar with, with, with all the details or the MLS or, or soccer, frankly. You know, I grew up playing baseball here. Um, I'm a baseball kid. And, right. And, you know, I follow Like all, all of us all Cuban the, yeah, kids. You know, that's, yeah. that's where it went. You know, bat and a ball, you know, on and, and our third birthday. Um, you know, a week later, you know, he called me back and he said, look, Jorge, we're, we're very close to pulling it from Miami. You know, we have like a dozen cities. Very, very interested in getting a franchise in Miami. has been difficult. I basically said, look, time out. Give me a few days. So I tracked down David Beckham, um, and I sent a text to um, 
another gentleman who had some local ties here, Marcelo Claudé, who was you know uh, somewhat involved in, in in the efforts to bring the franchise here. We had a dinner in New York City. Um, I told him, look, my brother and I are all in, but this has to be a Miami thing, right? It's it's Miami's a great sports town, if you know that we're di made up of a different cultural mosaic. You know, sure. we're all different, but we're all the same. We all share passion. We all love sports, but you know. Cuban Americans, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Venezolano, Colombianos, Argentinians. Yeah, you know, it's a melting all of these, pot. It's a melting pot, and and I think this would be a great endeavor. So I said yes, and I had frankly seen, you know, the difficulties he'd had. You know, I got on board. I, you know, David and I then flew out and we started looking at what some other MLS teams were doing around the country. And frankly, what I opened my eyes was Kansas City. I was mm. in Kansas City in the middle, you know, middle America, not expecting to see much, but I saw there, you know, a twenty-two thousand soccer-specific stadium that was packed. They had a 10,000-person waiting list. They had an entertainment wow. district around the stadium. And it opened my eyes to the potential of how cool would this be for Miami, right, for our city to bring an MLS team here and have this passion of soccer that we really haven't had in a, what I consider a serious fashion here really since the strikers and the fusion and the whole history of South Florida soccer. So, you know, uh, we said we're all in. We got approved by the MLS. You know, a couple months later, we had an announcement at the Arch Center in January that the MLS is coming to Miami. And really since then, it's been, you know, you know, pedal to the metal on, on trying to put everything together and everything that that encompasses. So, um, you know, that was how it started. That was really the, the beginning of, of the Inter-Miami journey. Mm. This episode of Pancom Podcast is brought to you by Aganorsa Leaf. Aganorsa Leaf are the makers of excellent cigars that stand out because of the distinctive flavors of their own Corojo 99 and Criollo 98 seeds cultivated by Cuban agronomists Oof. in Jalapa and Esteli, Nicaragua. Oof. Oh, baby. Wow. <laughs> that was impressive. I'm telling you. I'm an impressive kind of guy. Yeah. I, I, I have a lot of practice at this. You're great at the reading. Oh, man. <laughs> the Aganorsa portfolio of cigars includes JFR, JFR Lunatic, Guardian of the Farm, and Casa Fernandez cigars. You carry some of these uh, at Ariette in the humidor there. We do. I, I believe we carry three in our humidor currently. So t tell me a little bit about why why cigars at Ariette. What was the... You know, I mean, I've always been a huge fan of cigars. I mean, I started smoking cigars a long time ago. But it's really the, the community of cigars. It really feeds into the whole ideology of Ariette. And it furthers that conversation that Ariette is like a an experience only Miami can curate. And uh, I think cigars are a big part of that. You know, we're, we've been working for a while on creating like a cigar area in the restaurant and, you know, just like having that that option for people to be able to go outside and have a drink, smoke a cigar and maybe eat a little snack or, you know, just really just hang out. I, I love that idea. And that's why cigars are a big deal to me. Okay, you're talking a lot, and these people paid for 60 seconds. I know. <laughs> you know what? You got to show me a little more money for that. Aganorsa was founded by Eduardo Fernandez. Uh, that guy, by the way, there's a food connection, was one of the founders, along with his brother, of Telepizza in Europe. So if you've ordered a pizza delivery uh, to your hotel or something in Europe, good chance that you ordered it from Telepizza. Eduardo Fernandez uh, went on to uh, create Aganorsa. Uh, and they are making some of the best cigars in the world. Thanks again to that Corojo and Criollo that they are growing there. Among other things, they make the Casa Fernandez Miami Aniversario, which, by the way, is so named because it is made in Miami. They've got factories in Nicaragua and Miami. Uh, it's an ex a blend of exclusively those two varietals, Corojo 99, Criollo 98, 
perfect for the experienced smoker to celebrate those special moments in life. Like going to Ariette, you know, getting your duck pressed. And then you get a, you know, you, you uh, get a cigar after. Maybe. I don't know. Possibly. Show me the money! Only Great Leaf makes great cigars. Aganorsa Leaf. Go smoke them. So it's been... I mean, it sounds like it's all moved pretty quickly. Very quickly. I mean, you know, from the announcement in January, you know, my brother and I came down and the previous group had, you know, a, a site set aside in Overtown for a stadium uh, that my brother and I said absolutely under zero circumstances we're going to do a stadium here. It's the wrong place. It will not be a, we will not be able to provide the fan experience that we want to provide. Right. It's not good for Overtown. Um, it was just a placeholder. So we then started on a search of what do we do. And this is all at a time where we want to, you know, build a brand, a logo, you know, how do we cultivate who we are? How do we, you know, do a very cool and different identity that it's a very Miami thing? Yeah. And how do I take advantage of David Beckham, the global icon? Right. Because this is a man who I've been with him all over the world has, I would argue to say he's more popular today than he was as a player. And I think there's maybe a handful of athletes that we're familiar with who have that same kind right. of 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 persona right it may be a michael jordan you know a lebron um, you know maybe maybe a few others from other from other sports now that you say their name around the world and it's an image and a brand yeah right. beyond the athlete so how could i do that to use him as a global ambassador for our city and what we represented so at that time we went down and we were you know designing logos the colors and, and i think what we ended up picking which is the pink and the black yeah and, and the herons and um you know and frankly i read a report an hour ago um, that we broke MLS merchandise records. Yeah, in the first two weeks of the season, which so I believe we, we've sold. You know, um, you know, it, it, it's been unbelievable. But you know, okay, how do we fill a roster? How do we fill players? Where are we going to play our first season? Um, you know, all of these things went, and, and frankly, you know, the when we had to make a choice: do we start in 2020 or do we start in 2021? So we made a choice of kickoff in 2020. You know, we looked at a couple, you know, well, where do we play? Because I think it's very important because we're all about the fan. This is all 100% about the fan. And so we had an option. Do we play at Marlins Park? Do we play at Hard Rock? Or do we try to do something different than that? So, you know, with Marlins Park, you know, having a soccer game in a baseball stadium is, is difficult. There's challenges sure. with that. It's dual, but it's difficult. But I found there with, you know, sponsors and corporate sponsors and branding and fans, it was a difficult fit. Um, and I didn't want to just settle. Mm-hmm. Hard Rock had logistical issues with the Miami Open and football games in the fall with the UM and, and, and the Dolphins. So, you know, we had this crazy idea. You know, we were approached by the city of Fort Lauderdale about building a training academy and potentially building a stadium. Because one of the things that's unique about our team, and I think this is important for people to know, is that the academy system that we have in the MLS is somewhat unique to other American sports. You know, we're going to have and we have, you know, kids from 12 to 19. We have seven academy teams who play for Inter-Miami. Mm. So our scouts went out, looked at 5,000 kids. We picked 170 kids who play under the Inter-Miami team logo from U12 to U19. We pay 100% of everything. So these kids train every day. We feed them. We give them study time. We play in international tournaments. So really they're on a trajectory to hopefully be first team players for Inter-Miami. Or if not of our second division team, or they go play at a great college, or but really right. the course to be professional players. So we had to find a training center. And when we scouted these kids, the majority of these kids were in West Broward, 
you know, Doral, Boca. So we were looking at locations. So really a Fort Lauderdale location worked, right? Because, you know, we tried to be centrally located in a tri-county area. And Fort Lauderdale said, listen, if you guys would be interested in building something where the old Lockhart Stadium is, mm-hmm. you know, we'd, we'd be willing to talk to you. But in addition to the soccer facility, there was a baseball stadium there, a minor league baseball stadium yeah. where the Yankees and Orioles used to play. So in January of last year, January 28th to be exact, we made an unsolicited proposal to the city of Fort Lauderdale about building a mega complex there. You know, 19,000-seat stadium, training facility, eight soccer fields, and make it like, you know, soccer central in the U.S. In April, we got the go-ahead and the green light. In May, we started demolition. Um, In August, we started vertical construction. And sitting here in front of you today, and I just arrived from the facility now, you know, we were... We're ready to kick off on Saturday, so yep. we have a beautiful 19,000, you know, uh, seat facility. Most importantly, our training center that I know you visited there, yep. Yep. which is going to be house our first team, second team, all of our academy teams. It's a 50,000 square foot facility, state of the art to give our players, you know, the best of everything. There's going to be a high, you know, a high tech sports performance center there, with you know labs and 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 technology you know for not only our soccer team but for other elite athletes that want to train there so you know we've built something that that frankly and today was a media tour there that i think is getting worldwide attention so you know when we looked at the infrastructure we want to do things first class that's what we're doing we're trying to build a roster you know of players that that can win and play exciting football because we want to play an exciting brand of football um, you know, it's funny. My brother was one of the co-owners. Sister's so a big basketball fan. And he goes, bro, you know, we need to make soccer. It's got to be exciting. You know, these one-zero games and zero-zero ties <laughs> right. ain't gonna cut it here in Miami. I go, listen, we get it, right? So, so in trying to build all that, um, I've been really floored and taken aback by the amount of enthusiasm and the excitement in our community uh, for football. You know, for soccer. Yeah, I had no idea the passion that exists, and frankly, the majority of the Hispanic community here, where it's our first sport, their first love. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, we got crazy fans, right? We're sold out. Um, our season tickets are sold out. Our single-game tickets have been sold out for the first three games. There's crazy excitement over, you know, us opening. And, um, you know, that's that, that's been the journey. And, you know, this morning there's been a change in events. Right. It's you just, know. you know, it's a it's a speed bump. <laughs> yes, it's a speed bump. You know, it's, a spe- I, it's a speed bump for the world. It is. You know, you know? three days ago, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, the league, the MLS put a task force together. You know, everything about the coronavirus and what could potentially happen or not. Mm. You know, do we play your game? Do we not? You know, what do we do as a league, right? And I think it's important. Um, all of the eyes of the league were, frankly, on Miami on Saturday. Um, you know, it was on Fox. It's going to be a national game. Frankly, the networks think, um, and they projected this will be the highest viewed game in the history of the MLS, our Miami LA Galaxy game here at home. Um this was a lot of excitement, right? Built up right. a lot of like hype, and it was like you know targeting Saturday. But listen, this virus thing is bigger than all of us, bigger than teams. The league this morning, I was on a call, and we made a decision to postpone the season, basically just to push it back, uh, to delay it. One of the good things and the silver lining is we really just kicked off our season two weeks ago, so it's very early in the season. Um, you know, it was a thirty-day you know delay to the start of the season. Sure. Whether it takes thirty days or it takes forty or forty-five days. We do have the ability to be able to, you know, fit our whole season, a 34-game season, through the rest of the year because there was enough windows to do that. Um, there was never a discussion about playing, you know, closed-door games. Um, closed-door, like, like, like what? no fans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what we've seen in, I think, a couple NBA games and what we see in Europe now with yeah, no Europe, fans. Yeah, yeah. 
that's not good. So, you know, I think we will have the ability to play, you know, with, with a full stadium. This is just, we're just pushing it back, you know. Hopefully we'll be able to 30 or 40, you know, 30 or 40 days from now have an announcement date on our home opener. And it was just a bump in the road and and, and, and it's a way to manage and contain the virus because I, I think that's important. Listen, I said in a press conference this morning in front of the international media, look, at the end of the day, this is a game. There's bigger things around this. We're going to play. So it's just a bump in the road because they were asking if, you know, are you and David Beckham disappointed? You know, all the buildup, all the hard work, you know, going there. I go, listen, absolutely not. You know, it's not in our DNA to be why me. Um, listen, we just push forward. We're going to be delayed in a few weeks. It's good. You know, we'll have our home opener eventually. We were, frankly, um, you know, almost given the option of playing this Saturday because, you know, there was really no state holds on, on the game or, or locally, but I, I didn't think it would be right to play our first game um, and then have a delay of four or five weeks. So I, I think it was a prudent decision by Major League Soccer to, to suspend the season at this time. And really, I'm really looking forward to, you know, having our opener at some point, hopefully in, you know, in late yeah. April or early May. I, I mean, it's just... Uh um, it's not saying it's not going to happen. We just got to wait a little bit longer. That's all it is. I mean, it's like um, and listen, those are those out there. One of the special events we were going to have Saturday was we had a we're going to have a super VIP brunch at our <laughs> new training center. <laughs> yeah. You know, the guest list was extensive. You know, celebrities, league officials, U.S. Soccer, FIFA, the whole deal. And you know, that brunch was going to be uh, hosted Fritas. by Fritas for by, everyone by, by Chef Michael here right yeah. in front of me. So it was a big deal. A lot of people were looking oh, at we that were... because I wanted to show the world. Our Cuban thing. Yeah. Know? I mean, you know, I think it, it, going back to what you were talking about, like the branding and stuff. Yes. I, I'm so used to kind of like uh, professional teams just like just really missing the mark. And I'm, I'm, I'm honest, like I'm not a huge soccer person. Right. But when you guys released like the logo and the whole thing, I was like, wow, this is like the most Miami I've ever seen, like a branding logo the whole night. Like it really nailed it. You know what I mean? So that's. Amazing, yeah. you know, and anything to really represent the city to the way that that came off. And it's amazing to hear that the sales for, uh, you know, all the paraphernalia, like logos and right. stuff like that is, is so high because that's it really reps like Miami super hard. And listen, like like what I'm wearing here. I don't know. They maybe they can't see it, but I'm no, they can. They see can. that? There we go. You know, I'm wearing a pink training jersey. Adidas can't make enough of these. Oh, really? Yeah. These things are there's like they're like sold out like anything in our pink and our black is moving. Um, 35% of our sales have been in Europe. It's been amazing. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so, you know, inner Miami things, you know, like we're a big deal apparently. You know, our, our, our first game Saturday was going to be broadcast live, I think, in 80 countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a big deal, you know. It's like, it's like I, I think we've hit on something that's, that's very special and very important. Wanted it to be very Miami. You know, we're a bilingual team. So if you notice, everything that we do at Inner Miami is done in both Spanish and English. Right. Our supporter section is going to be called La Familia. Oh, I like you that. Know, so it's a it's a very cool mix of being inclusive and diverse and representing what our community's about. You know, be part of a familia mm-hmm. that follows Inter Miami. So you know, I, I think we're doing something you know very very cool. And listen, you know, and I think the fan experience is going to be different. Um, you know, and we, we've all been to you know Marlins game, Heat games, yeah. Dolphin games, the Panthers. Very good in game experience is very cool, but it's very different than the soccer vibe and soccer culture. For example, our home opener in L.A. two weeks ago at LAFC was an electric environment because they've done it right there, right? They have, you know, they have a section called the 3252 as their fans. They go for 90 minutes standing nonstop, chanting, singing, smoke bombs, flags. I mean, it's crazy, but crazy fun. Yeah. yeah. 
we should have tied that game or won. But, you know, yeah. let's put that aside a second. They're the best team in the league. So right. it's a tough draw they gave us. Um, you know, but, but it was a great way to start. Um, that's the vibe that I want in Miami. And, you know, um, I think we had an open house night before last. We had 4,000 people out there. Yes, you I know, saw I Our saw supporters, are, you know, they're going to be loud. It's going to be, I think, a great, great event just to go and enjoy, mm-hmm. to watch what soccer's about, the fan experience, you know, the craziness of the of, of, of the diehard fan. Um, it's going to have great music, sound. You know, it's going to be 90 minutes of fun, and that's what we want it to be. So it's going to be loud. I have great, you know, great memories of the Orange Bowl and when you stomp your feet and that. I, you know, so Shook. I, I, yeah, I want a great environment there, and I, and I think that's what fans will be able to experience in Inter Miami game in Fort Lauderdale. But when you uh, decided to bring the soccer team South Florida, you envisioned the fact that it's like this large melting pot of different Hispanic cultures would really feed into the fact of like soccer was a need. Yes. Yeah. I mean, growing up in Miami too, the one thing that I mean. You know, we all know Hurricanes games and Dolphins games and Marlins games, but I mean, I never remember soccer as like a thing when I was a kid. No, it wasn't here. I mean, I didn't even like, you know, I went to Columbus High School and I don't remember. Yeah, I, think I know we, we had a soccer Christopher team. Christopher Columbus High School, yeah, the best we'll, we'll keep high school that. in South Florida. Absolutely, Come on. Uh, state champs, Cyril. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> By the way, I think uh, talk about that. I got a call yesterday. I think our football team is going to maybe open at our at our stadium. Up, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Up oh, against, that's amazing. Yeah, up against. Uh, I'm going to be Cardinal Gibbons or the, the other team in Broward doing a state championship. What other team? Some yeah, other there's team. There's no other team. So I think that's very cool. So, listen, we didn't grow up. But when, you know, like my kids, right, soccer was more prevalent. Like you saw it more. I used to youth participation in soccer here, which is extensive. Um, listen, this is a hotbed of, of, of soccer talent here. You know, frankly, I've, our scouts on the team have said that we probably legitimately have four or five kids that got a really good opportunity to be, you know, members of the first team. We just had two kids from our academy get called up to the U-17 men's national team, you know, tryouts. Mm. So, you know, th- those are good things. But but it's different. Listen, and it's and it's it's very cultural, right? Like Miami and people think, look, the glamour of Miami, right? We're a, we're a global city now. We're the gateway to the Americas. This is a global sport. So my aspiration is that when people think of Miami somewhere, that they go, damn, Inter-Miami, football, right, soccer. Right. So I, I want them to think of football in the United States, and they immediately think of Miami, right? So, you know, we want to have a, you know, and listen, it's not about only wins and losses. We're going to win. We're going to be super successful. But it's about people falling in love with the team. Mm-hmm. I recall when I was 12 years old, and my first soccer experience was in Madrid. I had a very dear family friend. My family, we went to visit in Madrid, and he took me to Santiago Bernabeu to see a Real Madrid game. And I just recall saying, man, this is a blast. Like, this is a lot more fun than, <laughs> than a dolphin game, right? Right. And they were drinking the wine out of the wall, you know, the, <laughs> the food yeah. and sandwiches. And it was, a, right, and it was outside. It was an all-day experience. It was like, that's right. what I did. So, you know, inner Miami, now I'm seeing the passion, right, of the fan and the following and the players and, and what they do. And I, and I think it's, it's very cool, right? And, and I think our cultures go so much with food mm-hmm. and beverage and wine. And, you know, and listen, kudos to you. And I'm a huge fan of yours. And I'm, a, I think, a very good customer here because I love coming here. I consider this hopefully like my second kitchen. The best. You know, I wanted people to, at the first event that we were had at the training center, taste your fritas, right? To taste. Right. This is our thing, right? This is our culture, our cuisine. Um, and I think that's important because I think this allows us to showcase to the world what Miami's about. Yeah. And, you know, any opportunity that we have that, um, I think we got to take advantage of it. And I'm just 
really proud, you know, to be a Cuban kid who was born here in Miami. That's the to best. be able to bring a professional sport here. I'm very blessed. But, man, how fun is that, right? You yeah, know, I mean, uh, like you said, it's the, it's the gateway to the Americas, yes. right? It's like, dude, we have so much opportunity to hit so many different types of people being in Miami. Because, yes. like, think about the amount of people that come through here just for tourism. Maybe not today. Right. But, you know, in general, on a yearly basis, like, it's just, it's it's incredible. And then to be the first kind of, like, uh, sporting experience that they could have. Yes. I mean, it's huge yeah and, and you know what and, and what i was so looking forward to saturday was people seeing and then wanting to go back again right because look you know it's gonna be an affordable ticket you know we have a supporter section i think tickets are 25 bucks 20 25 bucks um you know so they're they're reasonable except on StubHub, man our ticket it's crazy what our tickets are going for for what we're going for for the saturday's game StubHub was, like secondhand like yeah secondhand going- man tickets were going for between 200 and 1200 dollars wow for saturday and crazy stupid stuff i mean whatever but listen Neither here nor there. Affordable ticket, food and beverage experience is going to be reasonable and good. I don't want this to be the type of stadium people come in and go, oh, my God, you know, they're trying to, you know, jam it up on us. Yeah. I want a beer to be affordable, chicken tenders, hot dog, a beverage, just inexpensive. Good times. Good times. You know, people can afford it, right? I want people to have fun. Yeah. Um, and it's all about having, you know, a good quality experience because that's what will bring you back. I want people to go back and tell their family members, oh, my God, it was a great and fun experience. You guys need to go out there. Because that's what we want, right? You want you want all of South Florida to be able to experience it. You know, I wish we would have been able to build a bigger stadium, uh, but 19,000 seats is, is is good for now um, mm-hmm. and what we have. And and so really just looking forward to it. Listen, you know, hopefully a month from now we're back at it, starting again. Yeah. We'll have the VIP brunch with your fritas there, you know. Frita uh, brunch. ready to go. <laughs> what's, what's the long-term plan with the stadium? You know, we're planning in Fort Lauderdale to play for two years, mm-hmm. um, maybe three. We have plans to to bring a stadium to Miami. Um, you know, we picked the site out at what is now today the Mel Reese Golf Course next right. to Miami International Airport. But what we want to do, there's a soccer stadium with an entertainment district around it. I'm a huge believer that stadiums on their own don't, don't provide economic activity and benefits for communities. So when you look at what we've tried to design there, it's a stadium surrounded by an entertainment district which can have restaurants, can have bars, can have interactive experiences, right, with all the technology that exists now, 3D with soccer, and they've done this really cool NBA thing in Orlando. I want to bring that, you know, you know, be able to bring your family and have fun and, and arcades and all of these different things, you know, retail experiences that, you know, you know, have a, you know Adidas is looking at doing something super unique there, right. you know, sports-related things. We're looking at making, you know, having an office component there that can have technology jobs and technology hub, you know, for companies that are going to be located next to the airport and doing some real cool things with, you know, AR. Because I happen to be partners on the team with Masa San, who is the largest technology investor in the world. And he's very, you know, interested in, you know, hopefully helping the technology community in Miami to have a hub in order to promote technology here, which will produce great paying jobs, right, for, mm-hmm. for, for you know, our graduates that, that, that need jobs here. Um, you know, and it can be an economic engine. So when you look at the Miami Freedom Park project, you know, it'll be a project that will employ over 3,500 people, generate over $40 million a year in tax revenue, but most importantly, zero money from taxpayers, right? We as owners of the team are going to 100% privately pay for the stadium um, and look at the development of, you know, spur economic activity. You know, we're going to pay fair market rent to the city for the land. We're going to clean a contaminated site because that's what it is now. So I think there's so many pluses and benefits to that project. We took it out to the voters a year and a half ago in a referendum. 
and over 60% of the voters, you know, voted for this project, which I think was 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 a super big plus. But most importantly, the stadium is going to be beautiful. You know, it's a 27,000 seat, you know, stadium, state of the art with all the new technology that's available for a stadium to make it, you know, soccer central here. Um, I think it'll be a magnet again for the Americas to bring more fans to Miami and more big events to Miami. So, you know, I'm looking forward to hopefully the city of Miami giving us a go ahead on that in the next couple of months. But, you know, that project will take a couple of years to build. Um, so once we get a green light, we're probably looking at two years um, yeah. to get the stadium going. So, you know, some point in 2023, you know, we can have the stadium open here in Miami. But that's that's a plan with the stadiums. And then some people have asked me, well, what do you do at Fort Lauderdale? Because the stadium's beautiful. Listen, it'll be there. It'll be active. Our USL team, which is our second division team, will play there. We've already had four international friendlies booked to play there with teams from other countries. We're going to have, you know, international tournaments. We'll have concerts. There'll be other activities in the stadium. So I think it'll be a very active asset for, you know, the people in North Fort Lauderdale and Palm Beach County to be able to, to enjoy. So, And if there's ever a women's team, which some people have asked me, and I, I do anticipate probably in two or three years, there'll be talk of a professional women's team here under the Inter-Miami you know, name right. that that'll be a great place to house. I think a women's team with a nineteen thousand seat capacity stadium. Well, I mean, it's it's a beautiful facility. It is. When I uh, I don't think I've ever in my adult life gone to a place and seen so many people, people building yes. one thing in my life. And yeah. then I was there. I don't remember who it was I was talking to because obviously we had to have like hard hats to go look at the space. Right. And um, they were like, "Yeah, there's four hundred and twenty-two workers today." I'm like, "What? That's yeah. so yeah. Ma- like." In the restaurant world, you're lucky if you get four right. working on a restaurant in one day. So it's like to see that many people, and it was just like, I mean, it looked beautiful. Michael, I was there this morning, and I hadn't been there like in four days. Right. It literally changes every day. For sure. And then, like, you know, I'm used to, you know, we're used to building houses and office projects, and it all take forever, right? It's like, psh, they tell you a month takes three. Yeah, they three years. They tell you $2, <laughs> it takes five. Yeah. In this case, the plans look exactly how the architects drew it. I think it's even nicer. Because right. I think when pe- I, people haven't been out there, when you get out there and you see that black and pink silhouette and all that exposed metal and i i think it looks amazing yeah but it looks different you have literally 400 plus people working there 12 to 16 hours and it changes like i was there three days ago and we're supposed to have this really cool midfield club right under the stands it was there was nothing there was just a floor and i'm going oh my god there's no way they get this done the bars up they have really cool lights tvs are up four like sofa seating areas it's like it looks it, it was like done in 48 hours right. so literally you know things are changing there daily so you know it's it is it's a beehive of activity there at the site i mean i it's i was very uh excited for saturday so i mean now we just need to wait another month or so yes. but it's going to be cool to um be able to cook in that because actually when i went there was like no kitchen right so they were like well this is going to be here right and this is going to be here i'm like okay yeah. all right so we're gonna this is it's going to be here. And then actually my, um, some of my team went a couple of days ago and they're like, yeah, everything's there. They're already working there. I'm like, what? I mean, yeah. we went less than a month ago. Right. So it was like, yeah, uh, today when I left, they were serving lunch to the team, which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, Pizzas, there was burgers, there was like no roof, all the healthy stuff. No, no, yeah. it's, it's done. It's, all the healthy it's, stuff. It's beautiful. All yeah. before the fritas. Yes. Arrive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So I guess, so the, it's like a two year plan for, yes. uh, the stadium down South yes, down here. Yes. That's cool. I mean, it, it's going to be, I think it's only incredibly beneficial the fact that it's right next to the airport. Yes, it is. I mean, the fact that it's such an international thing. And you know what? It, and we want to make it a destination for people. And we want it to be transformative and beneficial for the neighborhood, for the city. It's really, truly in the city of Miami. has great transportation in and out. 
I know people get worried about traffic as we all do because none of us want to sit in traffic, but you could not pick a better site that has major highways around it. Oh, yeah. It has it has our transit hub 100 yards across the street, right, where you can come and tri-rail and metro mover and, and eventually Brightline will have an extension there. So it's an ideal site um, to make it a destination, right, and to have, you know, we, we, we can put a really cool offshoot and pop-ups of your restaurants 100%. there and do something super cool, right, in stadium, out of stadium. So I'm imagining fans and families getting there two or three hours before a game, having a blast, attending the game is part of your day right mm-hmm. and then post game doing some super fun things you know part of the development too it'll be the largest park in the city it's a 60 acre park that'll be developed there we're going to be building a real cool hill sort of like a hill a terraced hill where you can we're going to have a super big screen outside of the stadium giant like it's giant like mega mm-hmm. so you'll be able to watch the games live you'll be able to watch sporting events concerts so we'll have Sort of like what Wimbledon did. Yeah. I think Wimbledon did a really cool concept with a lawn out there mm-hmm. where it's actually like mo- more people want to sit there than they do inside watching the matches. So we're going to have something, a very cool activation experience, part of the park, which will bring more people from the community out, I think. So, you know, we're trying to do some very innovative, active, cool things that, that people will say, you know, like, wow, you know, this is really cool. This episode is brought to you by La Caja China. Chef Michael Beltran, what is a cajachina? Well, let me tell you about La Cajachina, everyone. La Cajachina is the ultimate pig roasting box. It's your one-stop shop for all things pig roasting. And maybe also roasting other things. You can also roast vegetables. Oh, nice. (laughs) La Cajachina was established in 1987. They're a family-run business made right here in the U.S. and A. Mike, seriously, though. Explain the Cajina. The Cajina is the ultimate box for roasting pigs. No, seriously, though, I, I've been using La Cajina for a long time. I've been friends with the family forever and a day. They do an incredible job at, they really, like, they created a product that maximizes the whole idea of the pig roasting box. So basically, it even says, like, instructions on the side of the box for the people that really, like, they just, it makes it hard to mess it up, like, size of the pig that you're roasting, how long you should be roasting it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But on top of that, they have other things and features that you can add on to the box that, you know, you could do extra things. Like, you know, I've, with the grill attachment on top, I've grilled a 26-pound snapper before for a party. It was, I was an ambitious move, but it worked. Um, and I have roasted, like, several vegetables inside or on the coals, et cetera. I mean, you could do a lot of stuff with it as long as you're paying attention and they also just started uh, selling, what do you call it, the the grill Rotisserie. No, 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 but it's not a rotisserie. It's the one that lifts and lowers the, yes. the grill grates. Yes. There's a name for that. Yeah, no. I don't. I mean, if there's a name, I actually don't know it. Okay. But it's the... But they do have that. That's cool. Bam, bam, bam. There you go. You can find La Caja China on Instagram at La Caja China BBQ Grills. That's <laughs> at La Caja China BBQ Grills. Walk-in specials at their store, which, by the way, is at 7395 West 18th Lane in... Beautiful Hialeah. Hialeah, Hialeah. Visit visit our friend Kush over there at Stevens Deli when you go. There you go. So again, like lacajachina.com, roast your pigs in it, and then post your pictures and tag Lacajachina BBQ Grills. Yeah, and tag Pancom Podcast too. Tell them we sent you. Tell them that we sent you, that this paid for advertisement actually fucking worked. Tell them Blue Ribbon Chili winner <laughs> Michael Beltran sent you to Lacajachina BBQ Grills. Bam, bam, bam. I 
I'm a huge sports fan, a football fan, you know, baseball, basketball, whatever. I do feel like a lot of times the professional sports teams miss the mark on experience-based things. It's always, like, centered around, you know, like a bar of some kind or, you know, like some kind of lounge that has to do with another type of booze. And it's just, like, there's nothing that's very family-oriented. You know, right. nothing that's, like, let's make a whole, like, day out of this right. experience. You know, I feel like um, – I don't think any of them do it very well, to be honest. Uh, and I could say that because I support all of them. But I right. just don't think that they do that very well. Like, if you're going to go to a game, I'm just going to go to the game. Right. You know? Even so, even up there in Fort Lauderdale, we have – there's a South Plaza there. And we're designing a fan zone. And it's really designed around kids. So we're going right. to build mini pitches so kids can, like, kick around and play soccer balls. We're doing some really cool photo booths, which mm-hmm. the girls at the office came up with this cool concept of doing photos. And you can do – Instagram, you know, all the social media, everything's all, the, be all the Instagram now, selfie thing. Everything's got to be a selfie. So what we're trying to do is that is we're trying to have engaging experiences that you can walk around and, and do things, right? Like, right. Like around even walk. Because we're picturing, how do you walk? You park. Mm-hmm. No, no. Let, let me start before. I want to have the experience starting when you leave your house, right? So then so, it's technological if yeah, it's at so, that point. So everything's going to be on your phone. It's going to be all app-based. So I'm trying to build in your parking. Eventually here in Miami, I think that we'll actually build in and include as part of your ticket, like ride share. And we're trying to do really cool, innovative things. So then we're trying to picture, okay, you get the stadium, where do you walk? What do you do? I want everything to be pleasant, different, and just cool. So you have a myriad of things you can do. I want you to be able to have a food and beverage experience outside the gates. Then you have one inside the gates. So yeah. it's different. So, so how do we curate an experience? So that within, obviously, the physical limitations, you may have a space or not, but that is different. That, that's what I'm trying to accomplish, right? And I'm trying to take the best of what I've seen other arenas and experiences here do, right? Like, you know, I'm trying to take best practices from the Heat and what they do well, right? Um, you know, things that the Marlins, who, who have had, you know, some very cool in-game things, you know, done in the stadium at certain points, right? What are the things the Dolphins have done now that I think they've done some really good things with the, the redo of the stadium? I think the Super Bowl was amazing, by the way, mm. you know, what, what, what they did up there and how they were able to activate some of those spaces. So I'm trying to take all of those good things but put it in one place because I think a lot of them do a lot of things good, you know, well. And then some of the things that maybe just is the nature of the sport, it's somewhat different. Or more importantly, that teams get caught up into this is how we've done things always so we're going to continue doing it. Right. I want to do it differently. I'm going into this thinking – completely different i don't care what another mls team has done i don't care what another sports franchise has done this is what i want the experience to be right and i ask a lot of my kids right and a lot of the young people who work at the office you know because they they function differently than we do right they communicate differently they they just do things differently. it's a different world and then i i want i want that right to be incorporated in what we're doing so because a lot of people haven't looked at stadiums for example the ride share issue right most people are going to get to our game and ride share so you got to figure it out and I want people to be able to get in and out of in and out of there fast. Yeah, no freaking. Yeah, you know, I want to get in, you get out. No, the traffic is like always one of the things. Like, oh, I don't right. want to sit in traffic. I don't want to. For wait example, I went to the Brazil Colombia friendly at Hard Rock Stadium, mm-hmm. which was packed, amazing experience inside, but it took you an hour to get in and out. Mm-hmm. That's unacceptable, right? And there's a myriad of issues with that, but that that that's neither here nor there. You know, I want to have the ease of coming in and out easy, right? And so that's that's an emphasis point that we've done and I've been very, very vocal about. So I think when fans finally will be able to go to our first game, they'll have a you know, a good experience coming coming in and out of the stadium. How many people attend those games when they're at the hard rock? That game was full. It was probably fifty eight thousand. Wow. Um, you know, and it's funny because when you have international friendlies here, and I would say there's probably sixty five percent of the fans were Colombian or mm-hmm. Colombia 
backing the Colombian team, the rest Brazilian. I'm sure you'd have a myriad of just fans who went out, but right. you know, it's 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 attractive, you know, and and so we're gonna have some internet. You know, there's there's a scheduled game, you know, Honduras and uh, I believe the Czech Republic scheduled to play at our stadium in Fort Lauderdale on 29th. I sitting here before you today don't know what's going to happen with that game because we haven't addressed it. Right. But those are the type of games that you know have high demand and people come and they follow their country, they fly their flags. So I, I think that you know the more the chances we have here of bringing international teams here, the better for our community. How big is the stadium going to be? The one that's at Mel Reese? It's going to be about twenty-seven thousand seats. So bigger than the current one? Yes, yes. We want about one and a half times bigger. Oh wow! And it's going to be like really nice. It's going to have. We're going to have. Um, we have designed now a whole glass cube on the south end. It's going to be a club. Mm. So that's going to function in-game, post-game, et cetera. It's a beautiful feature. It's going to be open. We're going to have a 360-degree skywalk around the top of the stadium so you can view downtown under the Heron Wings, which is a super cool – it's a new material we're using on, on the roof, which has uh, it's almost translucent, which is really nice. There's going to be video boards. There's going to be holograms in the stadium. I mean, we're looking at some really innovative – Salt sounds very intense. Super cool stuff. Very but it's intense. going to be a great fan experience. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be very raked seats. It's going to feel like you're on top of the players. Um, you know, it's loud, cool, different, very good, high-end premium experiences will be there. So it'll be very cool. They're still working on finishing up the design, but it's going to be a really cool experience. I mean, so still a lot of planning. Yes. yes a lot more planning yes, to go. Yes. Well, man, I mean, that's like um, – I mean, I'm pretty excited. I'm not yeah. even talking. Yeah. So, um so I guess the some of the other questions and stuff I had now was like in the process of putting this all together, what have been some of the biggest hurdles that you personally have faced, uh, whether it be, you know, with Major League Soccer or with, you know, the city of Miami or with like right. understanding what is it really going to be from like a fan perspective? Cause there's a lot that goes into this. Cause there's so many like layers. Yes. I guess in any business, there's tons of layers, but here you're, it's, it's an experience thing. I mean, you want to create an experience because yes. people in today's world that they have everything at their fingertips, right. right? Like they can get anything, any kind of information they want within 10 seconds. So in, in order for really to really draw them, it's all about an experience. Yes. Right. So, I mean, I understand that from a food perspective, Correct. like I want them to have a great experience. Right. Our thing is service, beverage and food. But I mean, in your case, this is like everything, an experience from like how you deal with major it, league soccer, how you deal with the city, how you deal with fans, how you deal with players, how you deal with running a business of yes. a soccer team. Yes. You know, there's, so what have been some of the biggest hurdles? There's different buckets here and they all present their challenges. And then the thing that we've had is we've had all the buckets dealing with it all at the same time with an extremely tight timeline. Right. So it's all like turbocharged, magnified. So some of the most difficult hurdles have been political in nature in terms of our infrastructure, our stadium, what we're happening. And we're doing two parallel tracks. We're doing our whole Fort Lauderdale facility and we're doing the whole Miami Freedom Park project right. all at the same time with two different governmental agencies. So the city of Fort Lauderdale on our whole project up there, and frankly, hats off to them. They've been phenomenal to work with. They have been, without them, this is not possible. They they understand that the eyes of the world are on Fort Lauderdale for this, and they want to showcase Fort Lauderdale. And they've been super cooperative. Mm. So there haven't been hurdles there. The challenges there have just been more 
you know, 400 guys every day, 16 hours a day, and oh, just yeah. get it done. So politically, there weren't hurdles, but all of the challenges that go with building stadiums and all the things that happen, right? Like, okay, how the scoreboard's going to look? Is this area okay? Is there enough kitchen capacity? Did we miss here? Did we, you know, like, like how are we going to do this for 19,000 people? Um, how many trucks do we have outside? What's a mobile experience? How are our fans going to, you know, all of those details. And we have a whole team doing that. But then I wanted also to have our personal touch in it, right? Like, like this, it's important that you reflect what the owners think is important so all of these things can flow right, right? Like I want my our local food showcase there. I want our local beverages there, right? I want like our local craft beer guys in there, right? right. Like, that's what I want, right? I want one of Miami flavor. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the girls in my office is going to put a truck and put pan con lechones. That's important, right? Yeah, like yeah. just things, right? Like our things. So then on the other side, the whole Miami Freedom Park project where we have, I have a staff of right, 50 people working on that every day right with all of its different challenges with a lot of political hurdles right with the city of miami specifically and the ever-changing political environment and landscape there and they've been they've been good right it's just you know this process takes a long time because it's not only a stadium it's a it's a major you know undertaking to be able to try to derive the type of economic activity i'm looking about you know it's a lot so you know i'm very confident that we will be able to get the green light from the city in the next couple of months but you know i'm not going to lie that the, the delay in time has been frustrating but it is what it is and we'll get through it and we'll go there so that on its own are two major projects coupled with that we have the whole corporate side of the team business right which is relationship with corporate sponsorship sponsorship revenue generation media deals right we're going to be the first mls team in the league to have media deals in both English and Spanish. Mm. We haven't announced it yet. I think we're announcing it today or tomorrow. Perfect. Pancom podcast. Yeah, Pancom dropping podcast, new knowledge. Dropping new knowledge. So Catch we're gonna up, have, Harold. So we're going to have we're gonna have a Spanish TV deal, local TV deal, and we're going to have an English language one um, with one of the over-the-air networks. So it's the first time that will happen for our local deals. So, you know, anyone in Miami will watch our local games. We're going to have a great broadcast team. You know, Ray Hudson is going to do the head of the English broadcast. He's phenomenal. Um unique he has a global audience as well so we're doing some very cool things on the media thing like for example even on the radio side right we're going to be doing our own digital broadcast through our app so we're going to be doing things a little bit differently the amount of demand to partner with our team on the commercial side has been breathtaking so we've been very selective and we're actually curating our partners a lot of people have asked me well Jorge, the major sponsor of a team is your jersey sponsor right like it you know the, the name of the company on a jersey we have half a dozen entities who are very aggressive in pursuing our jersey sponsorship. We probably have another handful of people who want to get the stadium naming rights in Fort Lauderdale and eventually at Miami Freedom Park. There's two dozen huge global entities that want to partake with us. But we're taking our time and being deliberate in how we do that because it all matters. These are all relationships which are five years, seven years, ten years. So I want to be very careful because it's, since it's very unique to our team, you know, a lot of people commercially, well, these are great deals, just take them. Well, it's just beyond that, right? There's a lot that goes through. There's a domino effect to everything we do, you know. For example, we're, you know, we're partnering with Baptist Health as our health provider, our academy medical provider, and our medical partner. You know, Publix is going to be a big, big partner of ours. Heineken is a big partner of ours in terms of what we're doing. You know, here on the craft brewing side, we're doing something with Biscayne Bay Brewing. We're going to do some really cool, unique things 
with us, you know. So we have we have a, a lot of partnerships that we're doing, right? Auto partnerships, technology partnerships. We're doing a lot of things, but those are important. And there's a whole gamut to that because that's the revenue of your team. That's what allows you to generate revenue besides the ticket revenue and stadium yeah, yeah. signage and those things that allow us to then operate a team and sign good players. Right. Different revenue centers in order Absolutely. to create like a stability in business. Absolutely. So we're doing all that at the same time, right, in a, in a compressed timeline. And also undertaking the fact that we have – we're probably the only MLS team at this time that has a lot of global attention. So we're also looking at how do our relations with our sponsors allow us to open some foreign markets to our team. Mm-hmm. Um, to commercial sponsors, to teams, so, it is. so so we're in a very interesting place, and I and I think that that we're going to be spearheading what the future of the MLS is going to look like. You look at the fact also that MLS has expanded, right? Over the course of the last, there's been two teams announced for next year, um, which are going to be Austin, Texas, and Sacramento go next year. They or Charlotte, Charlotte goes next year, then Sacramento and St. Louis after them. So you have four new teams that have come in who are paying significant dollars in expansion fees with high-profile owners. Like the Charlotte franchise was just you know, given to the owner of the Charlotte you know, Panthers. Mm-hmm. So you know, the, league is, the league is moving. You know, good things are happening in the league. So you do all of that. Then you couple all of that with the most important thing, which is the fan experience, right? How do we curate it? What do we do? You know, ev- everything about it. And so, you know, and again, all of this in a compressed time period with, uh, you know, we're kicking off in March. So it's been a lot. There's been a lot of challenges. Um, what you learn from it um, is there's not enough hours in the day, as you know, you know, starting from how you started and the business that you've built and the great service that you have here and the experiences that you've done here. Hats off to you because I think that's what, what makes in your business and the retail side and, and from a customer experience the whole difference. Um, Thank you. So you, you know how difficult that is. That's what we're trying to do. Um, Listen, we make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. For sure. We learn from them. We move forward. But we don't let those mistakes like deter us, right? We're just, we just continue I mean, to move forward and try to deliver a great product for our city. No successful person has ever not failed. Of course not. It I mean, makes you it's better. Just, it's uh, it's you better. And if you, you don't. You would learn nothing. Nothing. Zero. You know? Uh, and, and, you know, that goes, we've talked about a lot of things. And I think the, the thing that we've spoken about the least, and not saying that it doesn't matter, is the actual play on the field. Right. You know, we're talking about, like, Revenue centers, yes. building a business, building an experience, understanding a brand, understanding how to make it like a functioning thing before you even play a game. game right. You know, and that's it's incredible. And I, I don't remember who I had this conversation with yesterday, just talking about from, you know, like in my business, it's like there's so much. I mean, there's people that get to this restaurant at four in the morning. Right. In order to, and we don't open until six. So it's like to, in order to get food, to our guest, we are already working 14 hours Correct. before they even arrive. And it's like people don't understand the amount of work that it goes into curating an experience yes. and uh, building a stable business, you know, like uh, insulating your business to try to be as safe as possible and also like being, you know, as I think progressive as like an Ariette is or a first time uh, right. major league soccer team in South Florida is, you know, right. like things like that. So, I want to go away from like soccer and I wanted to ask you a little bit about your kind of like you're just, uh, you know, what what got you here now? I mean, you're extremely successful in life away from, right. you know, owning a soccer team. Um, you know, it, it's been quite a journey, you know, and, it, and it's been like, I'm sure, a lot of work. So, like, 
how do you feel? And I know, I don't know how you feel about like, I guess, benchmarks, like what I call in my career, like their goals, goals and their benchmarks, benchmarks right. to continue to put another ladder up to right. keep on climbing to the next one. Right. You know, so I don't know where this lands for you, but like, what are some of the things in your career that you feel like have been significant um, experiences or things that you learn from, whether it be a failure, a success, uh, okay. whatever it may be? Yeah. Listen, I'm a product and I look at my life through a prism of never forgetting my roots, right? My parents came to this country like parents of so many of us, yeah, yeah. right? Um, who left their country just in search of freedom mm -hmm. and wanting to go back. And most importantly, giving their kids and their families a better life. So when you look at the sacrifice and specifically in my case with my parents, so my mom and dad, right? My dad got to here. Um, he was a very young leader in the Cuban exile community. I was 20 years old, you know, trained in the military. Tomorrow I'll go back, early 60s, um, you know, with nothing but the hopes and the dreams of going back and finishing law school in Santiago de Cuba. Wow. Then my mom, who was his high school sweetheart in Santiago de Cuba, comes here in 1962, and a week after she arrived, they get married. Wow. At St. Peter and Paul Church. Wow, St. Peter and Paul. And so I come around 10 months later, and I'm born in Mount Sinai Hospital on the beach. This is February 63. So that's my prism of my life. And my mom is a person who never saw her parents again. And, you know, the whole tragedy and situation that, you know, the Cuban-American community has gone through, which is no different than so many other people have done through. But remember, that's a prism of my life. So my lessons learned in life are all through my, our dinner table, through my family experiences, through understanding that we are Cuban-Americans in America, that it's a melting pot, but that we haven't necessarily become part of the pot. Mm. So, you know, I always look at my life as, you know, I'm Cuban, then I'm Cuban-American, and I right. was born here. Mm -hmm. So I have, so everything in my life is looked at through that prism. You know, my father is a man who in his life was an extraordinary individual who dedicated his life for freedom in Cuba, passed away way too young in 1997. What a beautiful tribute this community gave him in saying goodbye. Um, but, you know, he made a, you know, my dad made a mark in everything that he did. You know, he walked in a room and you could feel him without even knowing he's there. So I looked, I look at my life as how do you leave a mark? How do you make an impact in yeah. people? So seminal events in like my life that I consider important, right? It was, you know, frankly, great experience in my life was going to Columbus, to be honest with you. It helped it's a great place. It helped form me as, as a man and a person I am today. And my best friends are still my best friends from Columbus. Yeah. I went to University of Miami, which was a great experience, which is somewhat of a detour because I was going to go to Dartmouth to go play baseball. Mm. Uh, but when I ended up in Hanover, New Hampshire, I said, no way, there's little Cuban <laughs> kids coming up here because there's no cafecito. But, you know, it's also very cold. No, you eat empanizado, me arroz blanco, me plato. I my mom made for me when I got home, right? I lived in Virginia, so I, no, I not understand. Good, not good. So my experience at UM was a tremendously amazing experience, and it afforded me the opportunity to get involved even when I was in school and my off time in the family business which at the time was Church and Tower, which is today Mostec. Right. Right. So it's a family business that we started, and it was always my aspiration to, like, run the family business, right? For me, it was a big deal. And frankly, one of my dreams was always from reading books and thinking I'm this, you know, great executive. I'm going to take this company when, I don't know, when I'm in the early 80s when I'm working was to take the company public, right? It's like to have the stock of our company traded on a public exchange. 
So you keep tracking and you go, and during the 80s, you know, we built a business, and the business we're in is we do infrastructure work. We do work for AT&T, and we basically put in telephone cable, electrical cable, the infrastructure, right, to everything that we do. So, you know, given when Hurricane Andrew hit in 1992, and our offices were right off Coil Roost Drive, so Hurricane Andrew devastated us, and that was a great life lesson. It was a life lesson in adversity, but more importantly, how you bounce back from adversity. When I woke up that morning, um, you know, I was supposed to get married that month, um, and I tried to find my wife who was at her parents' house, and uh, they lived right next to Southridge High School, and I couldn't find her, right, because her house was destroyed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, every landmark you knew, like, disappeared. And I got there, and I realized that 80% of our employees had lost their homes. And the stories of families putting their kids in a refrigerator not knowing if their kids would blow away. So when you look at that and you look at that we had to rebuild from nothing, uh, that was August 23rd, 1992. Um, you know, a year and a half later, fast forward, and our company is quadrupling in size. We're doing different things, and we're meeting the challenges of, of, of adversity. So I said, listen, there's nothing that can stop us now. So I went and I approached uh, one of our competitors, who was the largest person in, the, in our field of our business. It's called Burnup and Sims at the time, and I made an offer to buy their business. Four months later, we make a deal. We create Mostec, this is 1994, and we become a public company. And so we become traded on the NASDAQ exchange. So that for us was a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. We became national scope. We start growing um, really out of adversity, right? Adversity for just to be able to have the courage to take a leap and become bigger and become public. One of the you know best days of my life was Valentine's Day, 1997, where I rang the opening bell on the New York Stock Exchange. Wow. It was the first day Mostec was traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, I was able to do it with my dad. Um, unbelievable experience. Very important benchmark moment. Mm-hmm. We've arrived. We can do this. So, you know, unfortunately, my father passes away in November of that year, 97. Frankly, it was like eight months where me and my brothers were like just like zombies. Sure. Like a blur. Of course. Um, but a year later, we're the first Hispanic company to hit a billion dollars in sales in the United States. Super friggin' proud, right? Of course. You know, first Cubanitos, we're able to do it. First billion dollar mark. Very important moment. At that point in time, you know, we were being driven and fueled. I know I speak for my brothers when we talk about this, about making our dad proud, right? So when you go through those things and you go then the challenges in the early 2000 era when, you know, the telecom market crashed and there was Mm -hmm. a lot of adversity, then I started looking through the prism of doing things for my kids, right? Because at that time I've got, you know, my little one was born in 2000, so at that time, you know, my kids were eight and five and one um so you start doing things for your kids so i looked at and we rebuilt the business and really masek at that time really started you know going again but one of the things i took great pride in those years was trying to be a great father right because i remember my late dad not missing anything of mine not missing my baseball games basketball games so it's important for me to be present for my kids because you tend to lose sight of that right like with my oldest you know, I was traveling 200 days a year, the business growing it. And my wife at one point told me, she goes, man, you know, Rito had a, he had a little league game last night. And I was like, damn, you know, shit, you know, like, like I need to be present, right? So, right? so I started working my schedule around being there for my kids. So when you looked at, at rebuilding those things, and, you know, and, and really I became very engaged with the Cuban American National Foundation that my mm-hmm. father founded. And I was, and I continued that. And that's a whole different subject for another day of how that journey is. But, you know, I'm a man of faith. I have a great belief that God guides us mm. and that we're just instruments of light. 
And so my life is just based on doing good, right? So I wanted to build a great company to be able to provide to our team members, you know, a great living, great opportunities. So Mostech, frankly, over the last 11 or 12 years has been a phenomenal journey. We're today in the Fortune 500. Amazing. Uh, uh, freaking amazing, right? We've got 23,000 employees, you know, we're $8 billion in revenue. And we don't talk about that now because that's sort 20, of become 23,000 employees. Yes, unbelievable wow. difference from when we were in Perrine with 100 guys and I knew everybody's name and I signed every check. And, you know, it's like it's a transformation. And it's beautiful to do it still trying to have a, a family imprint in what you're doing and an yeah. entrepreneurial streak. So it's an amazing story and it's the greatness of America. Um, that's a great story. And, you know, we don't talk about it a lot now because, you know, this whole soccer thing, frankly, has been a blast. It's a lot, you know, it's fun. Yeah. Right? Mastech is, is hard, what we do. I take an enormous amount of pride in what we're doing. And it's a great asset for our community, right? Because I take a lot of pride. We, you know, we, we do a lot of great things here in South Florida because Mastech affords the ability to, you know. Um, I have a great scholarship program where I provide, you know, scholarships for Cuban-American kids. You know, we've done two just broke 300 kids as we started this in 1997 crazy um we probably give a dozen scholarships a year best universities in the country four years for these kids to be able to, you have to be of cuban american descent you know we've had kids there well you know ex-congressman curbello was a mass family scholarship recipient um we've got two hollywood producers five hedge funders guys who built great companies so so giving back is important to us you know we have a great program at columbus called the mass family scholars program yep and frankly, we did that. To, uh, so there was a lot of chatter that Belen and Columbus was there. So I want to make sure that we academically had Columbus at the right as place. We, as we look over yes, at Nick. Yes, and Nick. Yeah. <laughs> Give him the evil but it's eye. A good, but but uh, listen, form, it's not... Former Congressman Corbello, also uh, Wolverine. Yes, <laughs> oh, Wolverine. Yes, he is. Yes. Yeah, that's fine. So we, uh, listen, general counsel of my company now. So there's former Wolverines at Mostek now. Yeah. So good. Just not many. There's, Anyways. There's, well, no, in the conference room, there's two football helmets. A Wolverine helmet and a Columbus helmet with the results of all the football games for the last oh, 16 years. Cool. They, well, it's they actually our, they stopped playing our, us Yes, now. it's in our that's conference cool. They called it, they at, called at it quits after 20 years of... So it's funny because we have guests go in, and then they go in, and you know people who aren't from here are from New York, and they look at them, and they go, oh, my God, Michigan and the Chicago Bears. No. Because <laughs> yeah, no. a Wolverine helmet and the, you know, the Columbus Sea looks like the yeah. Bears. It's like, so then we give, we give, it gives us a chance to give the whole story. But listen, we take great pride. The, the benchmarks to me are... Listen, is, is being in a position to give back, being in a position to make a difference, and always doing things the right way. Um, you know, I try to lead by example. I, I think leadership matters. I, I think it's, it's extraordinarily important in any organization, no matter the size. You know, Ariet here is a reflection of you. Mm. Everyone here who has anything to do in this restaurant is a reflection of you. Mm. So, you know... Your leadership here makes a difference. My leadership at my entity, and it's very difficult, 23,000 people see you every day, you can't touch them, but they need to follow a lead and an example. So if you set the right tone in an organization and you set the right objectives and directives, and you know, we're very driven, and, you know, and I always say we take a backseat to no one. We're gonna lead an organization. Yeah. There's no hurdle that's, that's or obstacle that's too high. You know, we will lead, we will get here. Our goals and objectives will be met. And you know what? If we have to, we'll will them. We'll will it, right? That's the type of drive and perseverance that I want in my entity, that I try to instill in my children and my family. And the same what I'm doing with the team here now. People told me I was completely out of my mind a year ago. You will never get a stadium bill. There's no way you open in March. There's no way you get this thing done. That just fueled me. Yeah. Right? 
fuel. It's fuel. It can be done, right? If it's, you know, you can will things to happen. And I think that's a mindset. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to establish in the organizations that I'm a part of and I lead is that if you establish the right mindset, things happen, right? There's no no's. There's no freaking negativity around me. No freaking drama. Mm-hmm. Let's just get stuff done, right? Yeah. And gear it. And, you know, it's all about light and optimism. And, you know, today I was at a press conference about the cancellation of the season, right? There's a million people. Oh, Jorge, are you disappointed? Not at all. So they're all looking at me like, Zero, just say, it's okay. It's okay. It's not in my DNA to say, why us, right? Because, you know, some people go, oh, my God, David Beckham, he was almost there 48 hours from the first game. The guy's been on his eight-year journey. It's okay. It's a month away. It'll be better. It's, yeah, there's, it's a re- there's a reason there's why. There's a reason for everything. Yeah. It's all good, mm-hmm. right? And I, and, I, and I think that's that, that's that's a mindset. But So benchmarks from here. And, again, you know what? And, and people have asked me this, and I sort of have a different perspective that I'm older now. Because if you would have asked me 15 years ago, I would have told you these are my five goals. And I would have told you to do this, do that, do the other. One day to own a sport. So that was my dream as a kid. I wanted to own the Dolphins, right? That was like my... Me too, me too. Yeah, I want to own the <laughs> Dolphins, right? That'd be really cool. But, but that's different. Tell you. My objectives now are enjoying the journey. And if it's more about the process and the journey, the goals you wanted will come. Instead of seeking them, they'll come to you. So I've changed my mindset some on that, right? Two year, two and a half years ago, I would have been sitting, eating here. I would have never talked to you about a soccer team because I had no idea. It was yeah. a random phone call I got from a commissioner who happened to pick up the phone and go, let me call this guy in Miami. Right. Right? So I was in a position to receive that phone call because of something I did. What that was, who knows, but it was the way I conduct my life. So everything now is about the journey and the process, push, and things are good. And then when the opportunities come, that you're enlightened enough to be able to take advantage of them. So for me, it's about journey process every day, looking forward, live the future, but don't project the future. And that, and that for me is an important concept. I used to project the future. I used to like, I want to get there. That's how I want the wall to look. That's my goal. Now I don't look at it. Now I know I'm going to get there to that space, but I don't know exactly what's going to be there, but it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it, it's a whole mindset. And it's Organic. Very, yeah. That's amazing. So that was amazing. Thank, Thank you, you for that. Um, so I think we're going to start wrapping up here. Okay. Usually, yes, Nick. Oh no, yeah, we're doing our wrap up stuff. You want it? You he does all the wrapping. No, no, up no things. You, can, you can do the wrap up thing. No, I like. mean you know there's suggest a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we like to end every show with yes. going around the horn here, and everybody right. suggests a thing. It could be it could be something you read, something you watched, a thing you ate, anything at all. So careful Mike, with the around the horn stuff. We don't want Sports Center giving us like a little right. trademark hey, infringement. Right. Hey, let them come. I mean, you know, I'm ready for them. I, you know, I got to say, totally off subject. Uh, we were hit up by McDonald's the other day oh. because uh, apparently we messed up with one of their trademarks with something we named a dish. Oh, Ariette. Not Ariette, one of our offshoots, but yeah. Okay. They hit oh, us up. Really? They sent us a, a cease, cease and, and desist, desist. Yeah. Oh, I <laughs> yeah, from yeah. McDonald's. I felt like I was like, I've made it. We're on McDonald's radar. Hey, now. I like that. Okay. Anyway, congratulations. So you got a blue ribbon for chili. I did. Get a you got blue a season assist and the James Beard thing. Yeah, Good job. Thanks. It's going really well for you. <laughs> it's been a big month. You got something you want to recommend? Um, man, I'll start. Go on. So I we already recommended this through the uh, social media stuff, but uh, hip hop has been sort of a recurring uh, theme has on it? this podcast. Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah, well, there's a lot of hip hop recommendations here. We Are we talking some, about uh, dining room? 
Yeah, Danny. Oh, I like that. That's you cool. heard it? So, yeah, what do you mean? You yeah, sent I don't it know. to me. Of course, yeah, I listen to a lot of things. That's true. Dining Room by G. Yamazawa. He is a uh, North Carolina Japanese-American rapper uh, who grew up in his family's Japanese restaurant. So the song is about that. So if you're into this podcast and you're into rap, you're probably going to be into that thing. So, really? Dining Room by G. Yamazawa. The yes. G stands for George. It does it stand yeah. for George? Yeah. <laughs> George Yamazawa. That's a good one. Yeah, he's pretty amazing, that guy. Yeah, no, no, he's good. The song is good. Yeah. What else you got? That's it? Yeah, that's it for now. All right. Um, I don't really know what I would recommend right now. I don't know if I've eaten anywhere, like, new that I would recommend. Um, so, no, I wouldn't. But I would say uh, first week of next month, I don't know the exact date, we're doing a collaboration uh, dinner with Nando and Val Chang from Itamai and B-Side. Um, they're incredibly talented, and uh, we do this thing every three or four months. So it's called the guest list because it's very exclusive, so only 20 to 25 tickets sold, um, anywhere between 80 to 120 bucks. Right. Um, we'll wait till they're done. And, um, yeah, it's going to be kind of like a – Peruvian Cuban mashup. Their food is amazing. If you have not Peruvian been, Peruvian food's great. Yeah, if you have not been, we'll have lunch. It's incredible. Okay. Um. So yeah, and then if you have anything you want to recommend or throw out there, whatever. Uh, oh, if my wife were here, she'd yeah. tell you she'd love you to bring the your old chicken dish back. Oh, another. Got a, I got another one of the yeah, old chicken. One the Which chicken one is this? Lovers. What's the old chicken? Yeah, this has been this has been yeah, this yeah. has been a big um, uproar internally with some people about changing my chicken dish. Yeah, but you I know change, you can bring the old one back. She's like she's like a big fan of the old one. Yeah, maybe just and you know what it, it, it you make them appreciate it more. Yeah, that's true. I think I would just do it for her though. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. I think that would be like the only person I would do it, it for. Was funny. Yeah, because <laughs> we was I was in a restaurant in Paris. It's called Ami Louis. Uh-huh. I was there with back when I was looking at some players there in Paris. And the chicken was, like, amazing, right? Everybody says, oh, it's the best chicken in Europe, which is pretty good. And then my wife goes, nah, I got a better chicken for you. It's right across the street from my house. She was bragging. <laughs> so then we get here. Like, a, I think a week later, we came by here. And she's all in. And she's going, okay, I'm going to have the chicken. And I told her, oh, I'm going to have, you know, because I like the short rib here. Da, da, da. And she gets to the menu, remember? And she goes, oh, my God, they're going to do a fricasse now. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think yeah, for her, I would do it. But that's it. Anyway. I mean, it, is, it is a fun anecdote. But listen, you're killing it here. You're doing great things here. I'll tell you, the other day when I flew out to uh, with David Beckham, we took our flight to L.A., and it was catered by Chugs. Oh, so oh, that's they, right. I that's heard That's right. The, the, Chug, the, the Chugs Cuban, Cuban sandwiches. sandwiches. They were a hit. Yeah, so yeah, David Beckham loves the Chugs Cuban sandwiches. Good. It's a it's hit. Good. I like that. I like so that. So it was good. They were delicious, by the way. We yeah, had, it was We fun. had our little banderita cubana. It was funny. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. We put little Cuban flags. It was funny when you guys came to eat. Um it's just like it was such a scene, right? Every yeah. every female uh, worker on the floor was like, David Beckham's here. Yes. And I'm like, I know. They're like, David Beckham's here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, David Beckham is here. Like, yes, he's but eating. David Beckham is here. I yeah. must have heard it at least 35 yeah. times. No, so I'm glad you guys had a good time. We did. We did. And I'm great. glad they liked the Cuban sandwiches. Yes. Um, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Uh, very excited for when we, we actually do cater. Absolutely. The, uh, first VIP brunch, and I wish you guys the most success. Thank you very much. Uh, I mean, do our plugs though. Oh yeah, we yeah, do, do the plugs. plugs. So I'm bad plug- at the whole like. Yeah, I the, know, I know. The regimented part yeah, of this, I'm terrible at. 
Let Go the, ahead. Let the people know where they can find all of your stuff on social media, the Inter Miami stuff, Mastec stuff too, in case yeah, somebody no, wants to. Yeah, no, it's all it's, it's Inter Inter Miami. It's InterMiamiCF.com, or you can download our app, Inter Miami, for all the news, merchandise. By the way, our merchandise is great. It's awesome. It is super cool. We're going to be coming out with some uh, some collaborations on some cool lifestyle clothes. It will be really interesting, but... You know, get your merchandise. Listen, if you if anyone wants to go out to a game, it's going to be a super fun experience. You can get your tickets online um, on the Inter Miami app or intermiamicf.com online. So just follow the team. We didn't get to talk the team about here, but the team is going to be a really good team. Um, we got some really fascinating players, great locker room, some young talent with some veterans around them. We're going to bring in a couple, you know, a couple players now in the next uh, two week window, which we can. One from South America, one from Europe. Uh, they'll be really good here. You know. Listen, this little break too helps us. We have two of our really, really good young kids. Julian Carranza and Robbie Robinson were hurt, you know. One of our striker, our number nine, then we got he got friggin' tackled in that DC United game. Guy almost it's tore his sport. Guy you almost, don't tackle in soccer nah, from my guy, almost, guy almost tore his leg off, you know. And he's injured, but he'll be fine in a few The Dolphins weeks. could use that guy probably. Yeah, they probably could, but it was like it was like fact, fact listen, uh, shout out to the Miami Heat who went to go watch the DC United game. They oh, sat that's with cool. me watching the game. And Udonis Haslam saw it. It was really funny, his reaction. You know, he's a Miami high kid and from here. And he goes, man, Ori, if somebody did that to me, what do they give red cards? They, they don't have a color of a card for I would do for the guy. Yeah. <laughs> UD is probably the most, yeah. the most Miami yes. athlete yes. ever in the history of all Miami sports. Yes. I yes. would. I would. It was great. I'm going to say that. But yeah, listen, I, I, so. love, I love being here, you know, and, and thank you. Thank you for the time to share. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, Nick, you got any other things? So we have our usual plugs. Your yeah, plug away. Gang, Time Out Lenya, yes. Ariette Miami, Chuck's Diner. You can yes. find Pancom Podcast at dadmag.com slash Pancom Podcast. We're Pancom Podcast on all the things. And also, if you are in Miami or can get to Miami, tentatively mark your calendar for June 13. This is actually going to be a week late, so a little Cuban time first birthday party for this podcast here at Ariette. Uh, Jorge, time. you're invited. <laughs> there, uh, it's free to get in. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm sorry, you it. <laughs> uh, there will be music and food, and uh, and hopefully some some little surprise things. So uh, sure, keep an eye out for that. June 13, uh, we'll be making like an official. It's definitely that day announcement. Hopefully, sometime soon. But for now, that's the day. Um. I, uh, w- soon on the next podcast, we're going to have some big Chugs Diner news coming. Watch out. Big Chugs Diner news oh, coming baby. soon. Oh, Other baby. than that, that's all I got to report. All right. Okay. All right. That's it. Okay, that's, that's great. That's the end of the thing. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, man. Amazing. Thank you so much, man. I know you're busy.